I finish up lesson four, so you won't have these last points on the screen because I've got lesson five ready to go, and we're going to try to get that one started. Uh, I'll <coughs> give you time to write down these points. And uh, number three on your uh, outline is a secure soldier, a secure soldier. A soldier must understand who he is, where he's headed, and what his responsibilities are. When a soldier's out on the, uh, in a war or whatever his duties are, really, he needs to know, you know, what is expected of him, what is he supposed to accomplish. And, of course, we also need to know that as soldiers in God's army, and what are we supposed to accomplish. And so... First thing we need to know, and I started to click, but I said it's not up there. A is our position, our position, P-O-S-I-T-I-O-N. Uh, the soldier knows who he is and where he stands. Now, in, the, in our uh, military, of course, we have different branches of the military, and of course, each one, if you ask them, uh, how many, do we have anybody served in the Navy in here today? Got one in the Navy? Army? Army? Marines? Air Force? All right. Who got one each one? Now, if I asked the one that was in the Air Force, they would say the Air Force was the best. And if I asked the one that was in the Army, the Army was best. If I asked the one that was in the Navy, the Navy was best, right? So, and that's good. That's the way you ought to feel if you're a soldier or you're in the military service. Uh, that's the way you ought to feel. But now, uh, especially if you're in the Army or Navy, you probably realize and know, and most of you know, every year there is a football game between Army and Navy. And that's what it's called, the Army-Navy football game or I guess the Navy-Army football game, depending on uh, where you serve. Uh, but now the players, of course, know who they're playing for, but everybody in the stands knows exactly who they're rooting for. There's no question in their mind uh, who they're rooting for. They're rooting uh, for where they served at. And uh, I guess the, the majority of the people in the stands are either from the Naval Academy or from the uh, Military academy. Uh, so they know exactly who they're pulling for. They know exactly what everything is about. And they, they're letting everybody else know who they're pulling for. Uh, Navy leads that, by the way, 62 games to 55 games. So, Army, you got to pick it up a little bit there. There should be no doubt from onlookers who our captain is. They should know. I mean, we ought to tell them, but if they're around us very much and we had not been able to tell them, they ought to know who our captain is, Jesus Christ. And then not only our position, uh, but our destination. Destination, D-E-S-T-I-Nation. <laughs> A secure soldier knows where he is headed. And, of course, we know uh, from our captain, where our destination is, where we are headed. Uh, for, uh, John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3. In my father's house 
are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So he just didn't tell us that you have a home in eternity. That'd be good. But not only did he tell us we had a home, but he said, I'm going to prepare it for you. And when time comes, I'm going to come back and get you and take you to it. So how much of that depends on us? None of it. If we're saved, it's, it's done. We know our destination. But a soldier in Christ's army understands it's suffering first, then victory. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. Evangelist Curtis Hudson, of course, died from cancer, and he uh, was racked with pain and sickness for quite a while. Uh, his last uh, times that he was able to fill the pulpit, uh, I was fortunate enough, to, me and my wife was, to be at Gospel Light at the Sword Conference, uh, his last time there in the Sword Conference. And he would often, you would often hear him, and you can still hear him on the radio. Uh, of course, he's gone on with the Lord some years now. Uh, actually, almost 20 years, almost 30 years. Because I was five years old when I heard him. But but he sang on the winning side. Now, if you hear that song on the radio and you didn't know who it was, if if you didn't know who it was and somebody turned the radio on and he was singing that song, you might think, why are they playing him? You know, his voice is cracking. Almost anybody could sing it better. But if you know who it is, if you know who's singing the song, if you know what he's going through at the time that he's singing the song, but if you know what he's done for the Lord, then it's the best person, best one to sing the song. Anybody else could sing it, but his is the best. When we know what we're going, when we know what they've been through. So we know that being a good Christian does not eliminate suffering on this earth. So it shouldn't surprise us when we go through suffering. It's good to ask for prayer. Many prayers went up for Curtis Hudson, and eventually the Lord took him home. But we should know, we should realize where we're going, but we're going to have to go through some things while we're here. Indeed, we are on the winning side because our ultimate, ultimate victory is guaranteed. We don't have to fear the things that come against us. We don't have to fear Satan. We have Christ's own promise that he will someday rule, that we will someday rule and reign with him. Matthew 16, 16 says, <coughs> excuse me, and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Christ said, Jesus said, And upon this rock I will build my church. Not upon Peter, 
but on what Peter said. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we know that once we're saved, Satan can no longer take us away from God. And then C is commission. If you're like me, you always start to write the word, how many M's, I know it's two S's, two M's and two S's, commission. Our commission has been given. Our marching orders and absolute obedience and faithfulness is required. The same faithfulness required of soldiers is also required of stewards. 1 Corinthians 4.2 Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I mean, we have a job to do. We are to be faithful in that job. Uh, going back to the military, the Marine Corps, we've got the Navy and the, the Army, so now we're going to hit the Marine Corps a little bit. They always say, simplify, right? Always faithful. Always faithful. Timothy 6 and 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. It says to lay hold on eternal life. I thought I had something else written on that, but I guess not. All right. But that means to lay hold on. Now, that term, uh, phrase, is used several times in the Word of God, a few times in the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, but it means, it means to just to grasp, to hold on to, to not let go, to, to make sure, it's a sure hold, to lay hold on eternal life. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to work toward that eternal life, but it means to lay hold on the fact that you have eternal life. It doesn't mean grab on as Jesus is going by. It means he's been by, you have eternal life, so hold, lay hold on to that fact. It says, whereunto thou art also called, so we're saved. And it says, and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. So we're saved. We tell people we're saved. So we ourselves need to lay hold on to that fact that we are going to heaven. 2 Timothy 4, 7 says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. In his famous poem, The Charge of the Light Brigade, Brigade, Tennyson wrote, There's not to reply, there's not to reason why, there's but to do and die. So we're just to simply follow the things that God lays out for each one of us individually, and one day he will take us home after we leave uh, this earth. So I actually finished four a little quicker than I thought, so Brother Ed, if you'd hand out uh, those uh, lesson five papers we'll begin uh, with the introduction here a runner in the Christian race Hebrews 12 1 and 2 wherefore 
seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 1 tells us to run with patience the race that is set before us and then give us the supreme example of Christ doing that very thing. Now God likens the Christian uh, life to a marathon race, not as a 100-yard dash, but as the marathon race. Uh, you, we are the runner, and he is uh, the coach. So we must submit ourselves to the coach's instructions. And that's, that's one of the things that, uh, if, you, if you watch sports, once it gets into professional sports, the big paying professional sports, a lot of times they have coaches, but they're really have some men that are very difficult to coach. There's usually one or two on the team that they do what they want to, and then the coach coaches the rest of them. But the team would do better if those outstanding players would also follow the coach. Because basically what he has to do is coach the rest of them to follow them, to, but they should be following the coach. And that's what we have to do as Christ is to, to follow him with the prize before us and our weights behind us. We have to let go of those weights that are holding us back. When obstacles come, we must meet them with patience. And now they're going to make us weary, they're going to slow us down, but we just have to work our way through it. But if we continue running, one day we cross the finish line and the coach will say, well done. Now, as far as objectives under, or for us as we go through this lesson, understand that each Christian has a course set by God on which to run for God's glory. So it's important to understand our course. We, need, we shouldn't think that our course is going to line up exactly with anybody else's course. It may be very similar to some, but it's not going to line up exactly. So we need to have that relationship with God that we know what course he wants us on. Number two, identify weights that are restricting them from the most effective service for the Lord. Many times there's things that keep us, hold us back from doing things for God and we don't even realize that they are. And then number three, which is the same as the last two lessons from number three, commit. Commit to staying in their race until they cross the finish line. Just keep on keeping on. You've heard it said many times, just keep on uh, keeping on. So number one is white run. They got me mixed up because my papers, my book said why to run and it just says why run. What is the motivation for the runner in a Christian race? Well, we run because of the witness of heroic runners. 
If you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called the uh, God's Hall of Faith because it highlights many faithful uh, runners in the race for God. And it gives a long list. We'll read quickly some of them here, but notice what the common denominator is in their race. Abel offered a blood sacrifice by faith. Enoch pleased God by faith. Noah built the ark by faith. Abraham obeyed God and moved to Canaan by faith. Sarah delivered Isaac as a 90-year-old woman by faith. Abraham offered up Isaac by faith. Isaac and Jacob blessed their sons by faith. Joseph encouraged Israel to return to the promised land by faith. Moses' parents hid Moses by faith. Moses chose to suffer affliction with his people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin by faith. Moses led the Israelites through the wilderness and instructed them to keep the Passover by faith. Rahab spared the lives of the Israelite spies by faith. So we see that if we are going to learn from the heroes of faith, we're going to have to use uh, the same fuel that they did, which is faith. We have to operate on faith. Now, Hebrews 12.1 indicates that the heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, peer over heaven's portals, calling to us and cheering us on in the race God has set before us. It says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, some people say that people in heaven cannot see us now. That that's not what this verse means. I, I believe it is. I believe they can but not everybody does. And I can't say with 100% certainty that they can. Uh, they have their reasons for not believing so. But what do you say? And I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just saying what it, to yourself, what do you say? If you've never paused to make your own uh, conclusion, I encourage you to do that. Read Hebrews 11. And when you, when you do that, read Hebrews 11 and go right into Hebrews 12 when you finish 11. Remember... When Paul wrote this, he did not write a letter and say, okay, this is chapter 11 and this is chapter 12. He didn't, he didn't stop. It was a letter right, reading, writing straight through. Uh, so read 11 and go straight into 12. And I think that it definitely means that uh, they are watching us. But make that conclusion on your own. And their testimony says to all of us, what God did for me, he will do for you too. God's not a respected person. You say, well, Moses was a, was a great man. We're going to uh, talk about that in just a minute. Not Moses specifically, but about people being great men. Uh, but God will give us the same, will do for us what he did for them. It's not accomplished by a special talent reserved for a select few. It's, ordin it's ordinary people who have faith in an extraordinary God. It's by faith. It's not by talent. Not one of those did it say they did it by talent. They did it by faith. And if you, some of them more so than others, you see that, it, that the only way to do it was by faith. 
Hudson Taylor, and we studied him, uh, I think we did a while back. Anyway, Hudson Taylor was a, a missionary to China, and he spent over 50 years there, and he actually went back and forth to England several times. He spent five years traveling, not traveling the world, just traveling back and forth to China, five years of his life. So 10% of his mission field was traveling back and forth to China because he went back and set up a, a missionary alliance and everything and foundation. Uh, so we went back several times. And we think about it, if you, this, if you read all of his accomplishment, you might say, boy, he's a, a super Christian. But that's not how the way he looked at it. He said, God is not looking for men of great faith, only some common souls like you and me willing to trust in his great faithfulness. So it's not that we're all given a different measure of faith. We all have the faith. We just have to put our faith in him. Those listed in Hebrews 11 were just common, common people willing to believe in an extraordinary God. We too can exercise our faith when we are willing to simply obey God and run the race that he has set before us. So if you, if you get in your head that Barry Rackley is a super Christian or Joe Arthur is a super Christian or any preacher is a super Christian, get it out of your head. If you know, you think, well, there's some people in my life, they're super Christians. This is what you need to have in your head. God is not looking for men of great faith, only some common souls like you and me willing to trust in his great faithfulness. So we all can be great Christians if we have faith in a great God. Now, God is wanting you to have great faith and trust in him. Now, as you run your race by faith, God will work in your life. It's not God might work in your life. He work, not God works in some people's life. Not God works part of the time in your life. If you run your race by faith, God will work in your life. And then you will have a testimony to share with others. See, that helps people to, to carry on, is to hear the testimony of someone that has lived for Christ. In 1954, Roger Bannister, a 25-year-old medical student, broke the four-minute mile in 1954. Now, to me, four-minute mile for anybody, five-minute mile, six-minute mile, six-minute mile to me is amazing because I can't do it, never could do it. But uh, that's fast. But nobody had ever done it before. He did it in front of 3,000 spectators. And you know what happened a few months after he did it? Somebody broke his record. And a few months later, somebody broke that record. And a few months later, somebody broke that record. And so for the next 40 years, people broke the record of the mile. And the record now is three, three, three hours, three minutes, 43.13 minutes. 30 
3 minutes, 43.13 seconds. And that's held for quite a while because now most people focus on the 1,500 meter instead of the mile, so you don't have people trying to break that record. But what men had been trying to do for years was spurred forward by one man's accomplishment. So, you know, there weren't that many people trying to break the record or break the four-minute mile. A few were, and he did it. But once he did it and people saw that it could be done, well, there was people lining up trying to break it. And they were. They were breaking it every few months. They kept breaking the record because they knew it could be done. And when we live for the Lord and we run our race and we go through obstacles and we go through hindrances and we, we uh, throw aside weights and we continue on in the race for the Lord and people see that and know about it, they say, they can do it, I can do it. So that's another reason to do it because people are watching and it will encourage them to do the same thing. When you run your Christian race by faith, other Christians are encouraged to press on in their race. Like drafting in a race car. By the way, I had a supervisor one time. His dad was a NASCAR race car driver. And when I would ride with him in these step vans, that's a bread truck, if you don't know what a step van is, he liked to draft on the interstate. He would get this close to a tractor trailer. Now, you know if you're certain place back, you, you're getting the wind. He would get up where that wouldn't be. I think he was trying to see if he would scare me. I didn't say nothing. They draft in bike races. And it's not a hard thing to figure out because even a duck or a goose knows it, right? It relieves the pressure when everybody is pulling together and staying in line. When you are willing to trust God's great faithfulness, others will follow close behind. There's a lot of churches that don't get anything done, and I'm just being honest. I'm not naming any. don't have any particular one named. No one does anything because no one else does anything. So stand up in our place and do what God has called us to do. So why, why else should we run? Run to win the prize. You know, athletes are motivated by winning. Now, in uh, amateur races, of course, it's for a trophy. Well, it used to be. Now the amateurs are paid millions of dollars, too. Don't know exactly how that works, but it does for some of them. Uh, Paul spoke of crowns he wanted to obtain for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Know ye not that they which run a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things, now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now we know that Paul suffered greatly for his service in the, to the Lord. And in 2 Corinthians, he lists uh, these difficulties. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. 
Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten. I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. Night and day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Now, if we're not careful, we would let one thing, much less than any of the things he just mentioned, stop us from doing what we're supposed to be doing for the Lord. But why did Paul continue? Why did he press on in ministry even when his very life was threatened? Philippians 3.14 I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And we'll start right there because I need to get the rest of it all together. But we keep on going on because like we said a little bit ago, we know we have a home in heaven. We also know that there are rewards in heaven. Now what are those rewards? I don't know. Got to be good though, right? If he told us about a home in heaven, I know that there's some very wonderful things in heaven because God told John not to write about it. I think probably because we couldn't handle it. But that's our encouragement. One of our encouragements to keep going is the prize that's laid before us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for each one that's here. Pray for those that are sick. Lord, we pray for the preaching service. Lord, pray for us all to be saved. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.